Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue in downtown Milwaukee, this is Wisconsin's Morning News. Here's your host, Vince Vetrano. Stop texting me airline quotes. Just <laughs> keep coming in now. Stephen Cudahy. Did that go. Southwest pilot it's have starting the fish? to shimmy. <laughs> <laughs> right? We do not know if the Southwest pilot had the fish. <laughs> Look into that. I uh, got a question for the IRS on your taxes. As the filing deadline approaches, I don't even want to think about calling them. Your call is important to us. Yeah, I know, right. You could sit on hold forever. Thank you for your patience. You're the next caller. Yes! Yes! I'm the next caller! Or there are other ways of reaching out and getting your questions answered. ABC's Daria Albinger with today's tax tip. You've got questions? The tax man has answers. I'm Daria Albinger with today's tax tip. Between the W-2s, the bank statements, the letters from the charities, and, and where did I put that? Fill in the blank. You may be at loose ends right about now. So take a breath, log on to your computer, and go to the Internal Revenue Service website, irs.gov, or download the app, irs to go Planning ahead for filing return yourself, then it has a lot of good information. It can help you, particularly if you're planning to file electronically, which we always would encourage you to do. IRS spokesman Eric Smith says take a few minutes now and save yourself considerable time once you begin to complete that return. Choose direct deposit if you're getting a refund. Choose to pay your taxes electronically. You'll get peace of mind that your payments are received and processed. So that's always a good option. So IRS.gov, always a good resource. With today's tax tip, Daria Albinger, ABC News. Tax tips are brought to you by the Neal Group. For less stress with the IRS, visit neilgroup.net. That's N-E-A-L group dot net for a free consultation. You're going to have me hang up. <laughs> Time for an update from the Gruber Law Office's One Call, That's All Sports Desk. Here's Brandon Snide. The NFL new league year is here and, well, unfortunately, QB Watch is still in effect for the Packers and the Jets. And the question remains, who holds the most leverage in a trade for the four-time MVP? I still think that the Packers hold the most leverage and Aaron Rodgers holds the least leverage. I also will say this, any leverage at this point feels personal. The idea that the Packers have leverage, the leverage would be just to tick off Aaron Rodgers by holding him hostage and tick off the Jets by not allowing him to start to integrate into their system by saying, you know what, Aaron, we're just going to make you wait this out. If they don't give us enough, we're just going to wait until August and then we'll make the trade. But ultimately, is that really in the best interest of the Packers? To your point, that's where the leverage starts to go away. For me, the leverage feels personal. The leverage right now is a matter of convenience, not a matter of practicality. ESPN's Jeff Darlington on hashtag leverage watch there. Now the NFL draft is just over a month away, but regardless of that, regardless of a lot of the offseason still to be had, some think the Packers offseason has been quite underwhelming. I think it's a fail for the Green Bay Packers. And, and when you look at it, they're going to lose Alan Lazar, which they probably were going to allow to walk out anyway, even if Aaron Rodgers was coming back. And Aaron Rodgers, they lose him. So uh, it's just a fail to me. There's no such thing as an incomplete or a pass for Green Bay. When you lose the, the best quarterback in franchise history, then you know you lose a lot. That's debatable, I suppose, but uh, nonetheless, that's ESPN's Keyshawn Johnson on his thoughts surrounding Green Bay 
heading into 2023. Over Thanks, to- Key. <laughs> Great. Got yeah, it noted. It's debatable. <laughs> <laughs> over to the NBA where the Milwaukee Bucks entered the night with a two-game lead over the Boston Celtics for the top spot in the Eastern Conference. And they were looking to add more to it. Glides, passes, near corner three. Joe Ingles, you betcha. That's finishing a quarter. Milwaukee, a 15-2 run to close it out. They've got the 66-51 lead going into the break. Dave Kane on the call there on WTMJ as the Bucks would use that 15-2 run heading into half, and they would never look back easily, taking care of the Spurs by a final score of 130-94. Giannis led the charge for the Bucks with 31 points and 14 boards. In only 23 minutes of work, some would say that's MVP quality, but we'll digress on that talk for now. And Cash Money Middleton also added 19, a good game for him. After the game, Giannis was asked about his health proceeding with only 10 games remaining on their schedule. If you had to choose between a number one seed or uh, health, I'll take health any day. If uh, I think guys are healthy and we finish third or fourth or whatever, fifth, we have a chance. I think our team is really good. I think guys playing high level. I think we've built uh, good habits and we still have 10 more games to build uh, even better habits. But at the end of the day, number one priority is guys being healthy. Hopefully we can finish with the best record in the league. The Bucks now get set for a four-game road trip beginning in Utah Friday night. Tip-off is set for 8 p.m. Coming up, this guy planning retirement. Two years. Republicans pushing back. The governor already moving on. 719 on Wisconsin's Morning News. No, Petty's not playing Summerfest. Eric goes, I think he's playing. <laughs> I was like, wait a minute. No, no, unfortunately, no. He's on the list of now unavailable God artists. rest his yes. soul, one of the best ever. New push this morning to have a special election to fill the seat of Wisconsin State Secretary, as despite having been just reelected, the man who held the office for nearly a half century, Doug LaFollette, 82 years old, has only now decided he's too tired to keep it up. His most significant accomplishment in office appears to have been getting a plaque added to the bust of a distant relative of his, fighting Bob LaFollette. And it was a long process, two years it took to achieve this, because we had to do it with a committee. And he had the time to do it. The state secretary has virtually no power nor duties. Here's how a recent Milwaukee Journal Sentinel article describes the post. During his tenure, lawmakers have reduced LaFollette's office to a small room in the basement of the state capitol, with two positions and a budget of less than $250,000 a year, the office keeps the great seal of the state of Wisconsin. We discussed at some length what that might be. Well, it's necessary for every piece of legislation, right, that gets passed and signed by the governor. Is it like a stamp or like when you get something notarized, right? There's like a thing and it... There's a sound effect. I was waiting for that. (laughs) Or maybe it's like a rubber stamp or the... Yeah. And then, because there's been talk about right, that, yes. about whether or not a Secretary of State could maybe hold up legislation. Yes, actually, we went through that during Act mm-hmm, 10, because yeah. the Secretary of State needs to, quote-unquote, publish a new law that's been right, drafted right. in a major state publication. So, that, anyway. not for nothing, but there are ceremonial duties that yeah. uh, occupy that office's time. But when he said, talking about the Great Seal, like it keeps the Great Seal... 
because everything relates to movies to me. Like I, I, was, I was thinking Indiana Jones' Last Crusade, like those knights that are in there guarding the Holy Grail. Who are you? The last of three brothers who swore an oath to find the Grail. There he is. There's LaFollette. got it. It was 700 years ago. No time to wait. Mr. Secretary, where is the Great Seal? Been guarding it for 700 years. <laughs> Oh, boy. <laughs> Here's the additional scandal. Now, Governor Tony Evers has already decided to appoint former state treasurer Sarah Godlewski to the post. She's out of a job. She bowed out of the Democratic primary for U.S. Senate last summer, but a rising star in the Democratic Party yeah. in the state. They, they expect have, big things from her. They have plans for her, and she has designs they expect to run for higher office. A lot easier to do that when you are in office already, especially in a job where you don't really have to do much. But you can keep your fundraising apparatus. All of those things stay active. So the governor is going to appoint her to the position. Republicans crying foul, even some suggesting that this was somehow premeditated. La Follette let them know, like, hey, I'm going to win, and then I'm out. And you can put Godlewski or whoever else you want in there. Senate could be, could, could be. be. I mean, that's politics. State Senate Wednesday passed a joint resolution. No Democrats voted in favor, uh, calling on Governor Evers to hold a special election for the position. Senate Majority Leader Devin Lemahieu, Republican Oostberg. The governor could have made an interim appointment to keep the office running until a new Secretary of State could be elected, or he could have asked for approval of the Joint Finance Committee to allocate additional interim staff. But instead, the governor decided to make a nearly full-term appointment to constitutionally prescribed elective office. As I would say, in fairness, any governor would. Yes, Republican, Democrat, whatever. We've seen it before. This is what they do. Sure. Uh, But there may have been some premeditation here. And I think that's a a fair criticism, if you like. But the expectation that he would just open this up then to the voters. I mean, come on, that's not going to happen. For a position that you could argue doesn't do anything. That's the other thing. You can't simultaneously (laughs) say this is such a huge miscarriage of justice. And, you know, we're dumping on the voters because they didn't get to pick this spot that we actually don't think is very important anyway. Either way, I'm happy because we get to talk about Doug LaFossil. Two years. 727 on Wisconsin's Morning News. I don't know what we're going to do, Eric, because uh, you're off starting tomorrow. A little spring break action for you, so you're welcome to take time off. But I'm not going to. I'm not. Call, I'm not going to to follow the Gwyneth Paltrow trial. <laughs> well, you, someone's going to have to. I Some- do anything and everything that Mr. Sark requires, including occasionally taking out the trash. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so here's the problem. <laughs> you love the celebrity trial. I just <laughs> love it. My absolute favorite. <laughs> and this one is so dumb. Yes. This one's dumber than that other one we followed for so long. Um, so here's the deal. This trial is expected to last six days, so the onus will be on you next week to keep southeastern Wisconsin informed. Um, so basically, Gwyneth Paltrow is being sued for $300,000 because she, she did something terrible. She collided oh. with a skier on a ski hill in Utah. <laughs> and now she's countersuing because she's so disappointed by this, she's countersuing for a dollar. And some legal fees. And so. some legal fees, which can be pricey. So she's what basically in that is she's not trying to gain financially from it. She's right. just saying, no, I'm suing you back and you're going to pay for all this. So a medical expert in the trial says the man she allegedly hit suffered such a blow that he can no longer do the things he enjoys like wine tastings. Or spending time with loved ones. So they had an, 
some type of neuroradiology specialist on who is discussing what happened to this uh, defendant or this plaintiff, I should call him. Uh, he says that he's different now. He's not thinking the same way. He even yells at his grandkids from time to time. He's And this is all because he got hit by Gwyneth Paltrow. Now, Paltrow says this guy hit her. What likely happened is they skied into each other because that's what happens sometimes on ski hills. She has yet to testify. We were anticipating a testimony yesterday that has not happened yet, but we will hear from her kids here pretty soon. Well, no, don't they get to do, I don't know, this isn't like, isn't this, is this yeah. unlike a criminal trial, but does, does the plaintiff go first? And yeah, then, and then they'll go, yeah, so, that, so they're right. doing the counters, you're right, so then she'll be able to go. There was talk that she was going to go early, but I guess they're still obviously doing the plaintiff stuff at the time. Uh, there has been some conversation, though, and some frustration by the Peltro camp because of all the cameras. Uh, the quorum order we spent a lot of time on. It's the court's order. People are subject to criminal sanction, and uh, I, I want it to stop. So he's frustrated because there's all these shots of her. She's got, like, those Dahmer glasses on the other day, and people were <laughs> making fun of that. Everyone's critiquing what she's wearing and all that, and they feel like that's inappropriate given what they're arguing What do they want about. to do about it? Like, Probably throw all for... the cameras out? Or <laughs> Well, that's great. Great point. Maybe they're trying to make her look like the victim before the jury gets involved. In Aha! I like that play. All right, that's good legal thinking right yeah, there. Could be. Good strategery. So that's where we are at. We expect more testimony today on behalf of the plaintiff who says that he needs $300,000 after he was hit by Gwyneth Paltrow, who weighs probably a buck ten. And, he, and two, he may be in bad shape. Like may, That may all be yeah. true and still not her fault. Correct. Right. Yes. But skiing recklessly and not oh, looking yes. where she was going. 744 on Wisconsin's Morning News. Brandon Snyde has sports coming up next. Time for an update from the Gruber Law Office's One Call, That's All Sports Desk. Here's Brandon Snide. With only 11 games remaining for Milwaukee and a four-game road trip looming, the Bucks were looking for some home cooking Wednesday night against the visiting Spurs. Sends a pass to the corner, Middleton works it to Ingles. They work at touch passes back and forth. Now a cop, it comes to Portis, and Portis drills the three. Man, that ball was like a ping-pong ball. It was just one spot to the next. Dave Kane on the call right here on WTMJ. BP would sink that and finish the game with 19, and Giannis would lead the game in scoring with 31 and 14 boards in just 23 minutes as the Bucs take care of business, defeating the Spurs by a final of 130-94. to After the game, head coach Mike Budenholzer on his team finding their stride and sharing the ball. When we're playing unselfish and sharing it and uh, making um, good decisions and good reads um, and making threes, then you know that's when we're at our best. With the win, the Bucks remain two and a half games in front of the Boston Celtics for the top spot in the Eastern Conference. Now, there is a little bit of a debate and maybe some dilemma for the Bucks and maybe for some fans do they rest their guys heading into the postseason, or do they go for that number one spot? I mean, I think we won it. I think we won the one seed. Even like after All-Star break, right, it's been super close between really the top three teams in the East. It's not something we obsess about. We're not like checking it every day, every game. Like I, I think we're definitely aware of it, and I know as a group, I, I know we want the one seed. Bucks guard Grayson Allen addressing the media on Wednesday as the Bucks now get set for a four-game road trip beginning in Utah Friday night. Over to the Diamond, where the regular season is just one week away from today for the Brewers. And manager Craig Council, well, he's feeling pretty good 
about where the Brew Crew's starting rotation currently sits at this moment. I, I couldn't be happier with the physical status of our starters. I, I think we're in we're in a good spot. Like we've got them like prep wise, health health related. Um, like they've done everything we're supposed to do, so we're we're in a good spot. The Brewers are back in action today, taking on the San Diego Padres. First pitch is set for three ten. And finally, over to the NFL, where the Jets make a trade. Just not the trade we all thought, as they send out their third-year wide receiver, Elijah Moore, to the Cleveland Browns and receive the 42nd overall pick in the upcoming 2023 draft. What could this trade mean for the Packers, though? The Jets reached agreement with McCole Hardman, the former Chiefs wide receiver, which enabled them to trade more later in the day, which enabled them to get more draft compensation, which puts them in a better position, of course, to go see if they could figure out a trade for Aaron Rodgers. The two sides have not been close. Both sides have been dug in on their stances. But now the Jets have an extra second-round pick that they used, obviously, as part of the Elijah Moore trade. Now, you remember last year Elijah Moore wanted out of New York? Well, he gets his wish. It comes after the season. He goes to Cleveland, and it gives the Jets a surplus of picks in the second round next month. ESPN's Adam Schefter there on NFL Live as there's lots to still happen throughout the NFL as the draft is just over a month away. Coming up, the quest to honor an American hero from Wisconsin. 754 on Wisconsin's Morning News. March is Women's History Month. Special effort underway to recognize an American hero from the western part of our state. WTMJ's John Mercure has the story of Ellen Ainsworth. Young Ellen Ainsworth didn't have it easy. Born in 1919, she grew up during the Great Depression in small Glenwood City, Wisconsin, in the rolling hills 40 miles east of the Minnesota border. Despite food sometimes being scarce and opportunities even scarcer, one of Ellen's childhood friends says she had a special light. She was quick with a one-liner, the first to lead an impromptu sing-along, and was always fast to flash a smile. David Sandmeyer is a distant cousin of Ellen. So she was like almost like a bigger-than-life figure, living life to its fullest and never afraid in in the darkest of scenarios. After high school, Ellen graduated nursing school and became a nurse in Minneapolis. On March 2nd, 1942, Ellen's life changed forever when an Army recruiter visited the hospital where she worked. A few days later, on her 23rd birthday, Ellen told her family it was her destiny to help our men and women on the battlefield overseas, and she enlisted. After training in Arkansas, Texas, and New York, Ellen shipped out for Italy, where she was assigned to the 56th Evacuation Hospital on the front lines in Anzio. The entire several months that the U.S. Army was there was basically hell, hell on earth. Ellen and her fellow nurses arrived in late January 1942. And immediately they faced intense artillery and mortar attacks. February 10th. 1944. The worst shelling yet occurred, and it mainly hit a field hospital very near to the 56th EVAC hospital, and it killed a number of people at that field hospital. 
The injured were brought to Ellens Field Hospital, which was nothing more than a canvas tent with big red crosses painted on the roof and sides. Several large bombs landed nearby and shrapnel began to rain down on the tent where Ellen was working. Patients who are there who are well enough to be moved, they're removing those patients from the tent hospital into bunkers. But somebody has to stay behind and take care of the really ill patients who can't be moved. Under heavy bombing, as others fled, Ellen stayed. She calmly helped move those patients at least to the ground because shrapnel was coming almost at ground level horizontally. You know, these bombs would explode and they'd send metallic shrapnel sideways, you know, like a few feet above the ground. So Ellen is in there on her shift, moving patients to the ground. In the chaos, Ellen stayed calm. 42 patients were moved calmly and collectively by under her guidance, which prevented panic. A bomb shelter had been built for the nurses, but Ellen decided to stay in her tent because she wanted to be closer to the men she cared for. February 12, 1944. After another long shift under constant bombardment, Ellen collapsed from exhaustion in her tent. Within minutes, a bomb hit, sent shrapnel sideways, and it it struck her in her tent. She took about a quarter diameter piece of shrapnel into her chest that apparently went down into her abdomen and caused pretty severe organ damage. She was rushed to the medical tent where she fought and struggled and eventually faded. Ellen gets worse and worse. Eventually she died on four days later on February 16th. Her death left that community grief-stricken for years. Sally Burkholder's father went to high school with Ellen in Glenwood City. Her death left such an impression on that community that even now today, you could go to Glenwood City, a population of about 1,200 people, and died, what, 80-some years ago, and just say Ellen, and they would know who you were talking about. Now the people of western Wisconsin are talking about how Ellen should receive the nation's highest military award for valor in action the Medal of Honor. Was Ellen Ainsworth a hero? Absolutely. In the case of Ellen, she had to die to prove herself. But I mean, it, it again, it opened up generations of opportunities for women to serve in the military, for women to go on and pursue advanced degrees. And it's not just in Glenwood City that they're pushing for Ellen to receive the Medal of Honor. I would argue this is long overdue. Dan Buttry is the president and CEO of the War Memorial in Milwaukee. The key is to protect and save and do something way above and beyond your requirement to save your fellow soldier. And there's no question what Ellen did at that time was to protect and save and stand there and go way beyond what was required of her. No woman has the Medal of Honor. Not one. Ellen would be the first. The Medal of Honor requires you to have gone beyond the call of duty in a position of extreme danger to aid others. And it's basically what she did. You know, had she decided to use that air raid shelter when she got off her shift, she'd gone to that shelter, she probably would have survived. World War II veteran Senator Daniel Inouye once said, the nurses in World War II gave us hope. It's time for Ellen's country to give her the recognition she bravely and selflessly earned. The girl next door who left home for war and never came back. John Merkier, WTMJ News. Both of Wisconsin's U.S. Senators and U.S. Representative from Wisconsin, Tom Tiffany, are working to get Ellen Ainsworth awarded that Medal of Honor.
The process could still take years if approved by Congress the medal will be presented to the Ainsworth family by the President of the United States.